I was going to say that if I were diving that, though, I'd probably want to have me a good dry suit like my Viking with a full face because that's got to be contaminated water around the uh, area there. But I'd still dive it. Scuba Obsessed Weekly Podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba in the news. Scuba Obsessed, episode 242, is recorded live May 21st, 2015. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jolson coming to you from the west side of Michigan, where it got cold again. Joining me this week, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? Well, I'm sort of relishing that this is one of the few places that I can get a sunburn and a frostbite on the same day. <laughs> what was that? It was like 47. That's not Celsius. That was, that was Fahrenheit. I, I, Even Lake Michigan is warmer than that. Hit <laughs> the water. I'm surprised we didn't have any fog come in with that. Oh, we did. Or oh, least, did you? Oh, yeah. This morning, you had a really good haze out there. Ah, yeah. I, I'm I'm only about a mile from the lake when I when I'm at work, but I didn't see that. So what we're going to do is jump right on into the news. We have a actually a pretty well loaded news week. Also, like to thank everybody who's in the chat room. We have uh, Surfer George, uh, Wheaton Diver. Uh, some of our regulars uh, actually sent me a message saying they weren't going to be in. Vanessa's got a chance for a night dive, so go get the night dive in. That diving counts. You can skip for if you got diving going on. Now, how is this? And I want to know who this is. A beer-drinking man wearing scuba diving gear caused disturbance at a McDonald's restaurant. This is in Traverse City, Michigan. And we'll paste this into the chat room so they can follow along. What the heck? That's not it. And I don't think I want to put that in the chat room. Oh, I pasted well, I just, over it. <laughs> I'm reading the article. Do you don't have it? You want me to? Nah, um, well, yeah, if you want to go ahead and read it. Well, it was in Travis City, Michigan, which is a little north and on the coast. And it said, it wasn't the scuba gear that he was wearing that got the McDonald's customer in hot water. Nor was it the beers he drank earlier. It was a yelling. Workers at the Front Street restaurant called police Tuesday, May 19, because he was hollering about something. He soon left. People, or The police tracked him down. He had been drinking, but not enough, meaning he wasn't drunk enough to be arrested. Police warned that McDonald's management did not want him to return. And they did a, a brief accident report, but it never mentioned why the guy was acting up or why he was in scuba gear. And it said the man uh, was in uh, flippers, mask, and snorkel, but said reports did not detail the man's gear. Yeah, we want to know I, what, what the brand gear was it. Now, did we have any missing divers in Traverse City this week? Well, I'm just concerned when they say scuba gear, if you didn't have a tank on, I would say a snorkeler, not a scuba man. You know what I mean? Yeah, it just, uh, it, I think they like to use the term scuba. It sounds more Well, are you going to mess with a guy who's slightly drunk and is strong enough to walk around town with tanks on your back? Well, that's what I wanted to see. I wanted, like, a guy in a full kit. You know, you got, you know, like, a back plate, a wing, you know, a dive belt. You know, that's hardy. I've, well, I mean, I've, he's probably had double 110s on. Yeah, now doubles. Ooh, now, that, that would guy, be guy, you're going to leave alone. Yeah. Yeah, that that would be tough. I, I and, you, and you can't shoot him in the back. 
Yeah, just just that walking when we do a pier dive and we're walking from the parking lot back to the pier, that will wear you out. Just hauling gear. So yeah, you're pretty hefty if it hef, not hefty, uh, hardy if you're in full gear. But you know, snorkel, eh, that's more of a statement, I guess. Fashion, nothing like the I smell of neoprene. Comments from that, and one of the comments. Let's see where it was. From Matty14 said, the guy in the scuba gear had been walking all over Travis City this week. If he's the same guy, he's one of the locals without a home. He's not all there mentally. So that would sound like he's in snorkeling gear, not scuba per se. Well, you think about it, it's it, you'd be a little warmer in a wetsuit. Yeah, a couple of more. Yeah, that's for sure. And, a couple and, of want to know if they get a picture, who will who will buy it? Yeah, we'll buy it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, the thing about if you're walking around in a wetsuit, you can just pee wherever you want. Yeah, but you can probably find it from the smell. <laughs> yeah. yeah you, need, you need a good case of sink to stink on that. So Michigan makes the news once again. Yeah, for something really good. Yeah. Now, Norwegian Cruise Line's making the news, and I bet they wish they wouldn't. Uh, cruise Line ship Dawn was refloated and anchored in Bermuda after a malfunction. The cruise ship named Dawn ran aground on a reef Tuesday after leaving uh, Bermuda's King Wharf when a malfunction in its steering wheel caused the sail slightly off course. The cruise ship, with over 3,500 people on board, is believed to have lost power briefly. The company later said the vessel's power has been restored and the cruise has been refloated. With high tide this evening, <laughs> when you have to say your float plan includes... Uh, yeah, we're, we're going to get off the rocks in high tide. With high tides this evening, the ship was floated and moved to a nearby anchorage position where it will remain overnight. The ship will be thoroughly inspected by Bermuda's DNVGL, the ship's classification society, before returning to Boston. With a high tide this evening, the ship was floated and moved to a nearby anchorage position where it will remain. But uh, when you get, you get a little bit into it, I love the social media posts. Somebody said, we definitely felt it. This was uh, Hensie from Londonderry, New Hampshire. We were in the middle of eating dinner. There was a shutter for maybe 30 seconds to a minute, and then there was a sudden stop. So that's just not a little bit of grounding. That's a full-blown ran into something. Now, why isn't there anybody going nuts about this cruise ship destroying coral? Well, I'm curious about the part where you said we had crew members running around in a panic. Yes. Now, that is not acceptable. Nah. If you, you know, Norwegian Cruise Line, get your act in order. One thing, you should never lose power. You should have redundant power. So why is it, this is like the third report in the last couple of years we've covered where a cruise ship has said they've they've lost power. What a bunch of bull that is. You know, what kind of engineering? You've got a city floating and you can't figure out a way of keeping power on, especially to critical systems like steering. And then we had crew members running around to panic and we felt like we had the panic. Well, that's how panic works. So a little bit of training opportunity there, Norwegian. And then people taking pictures of the divers. Did inspection. Must be awful shallow, though. Three miles from Bermuda when it ran aground. Well, a reef. So you wonder what they were doing that they were that close or how long they had problems. Well, Norwegian... Crucia, the line itself is pretty, pretty good. So, yeah, they're you know, not, they're not slouches. Thing. That's a big ship, though, isn't it? Huge, huge. All these, all these large ships are gigantic now. You ever been on a cruise? No. 
Neither have I. I you know, I've want to go, but with all this junk, why would I? I'm more afraid of Legionnaire's disease. Well, that's that's a that, that's a guarantee. That seems like it just comes and goes in some kind of weird cycle. What I would like to do is I think I would like to do a cruise and then land and then cruise. Because it, you know, use the cruise for like decompression. Because when I've taken trips before, it usually takes three days for you to finally calm down and forget about work. And then I want to do some diving. And I'm not real convinced that diving from a cruise or a port is the way to do it. You want to like I, I you know, take a cruise ship to Cozumel, leave the cruise ship for a week, and then you know sail back to Florida or something. That would be a fun trip. And then here we got uh, Israel is barring a scuba suit shipment to Gaza. Is that even technically a correct term, a scuba suit? Is anybody, uh, I, don't, I don't think I've ever heard a diver say that, scuba suit. We would that say wetsuit, dry suit. That is odd, isn't it? Yeah, I just. Never thought of that before. Hey, you, you keep seeing people say scuba suit. Uh, Israel authorities uh, thwarted attempt to smuggle the scuba diving suits in the Gaza Strip this month where they could have been used for a sea-based attack on Israel. Custom employees at the border crossing in the country south along uh, Sin Bet, security surface agents, found the scuba suits in a shipment going to Gaza via Israel, the customs authority said Monday. While the import documents stated the shipment was the strip is supposed to contain a large number of sports suits, it's a sports suit, a thorough examination by workers revealed that 40 diving suits have been included in the transport as well, a commodity which requires special permits. I'm curious because the uh, the title, they bar scuba suit shipment, and then in the write-up, then it says an attempt to smuggle scuba diving suit into, there's a difference between smuggling into and then barring, barring a shipment. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, so uh, which is it? I just think it's sloppy reporting, honestly. Uh, what it sounds like is that anything that passes through Israel going into Gaza, they they inspect, and they're requiring that stuff going into Gaza like a dive suit goes with a permit. So unless you've got a dive shop and it's been cleared in advance, you're not going to get it in there. But then if you're going to go with the conspiracy theory, you could say that this is a plant by the Israeli military to get funding for additional port support, if you're going to go that way. Well, did you read the rest of the article? No. In the last four months alone, 1,200 tubes of polyurethane, the material that can be used to produce propellant, rocket propellant, was found in a silicon shipment. 200 kilos of uh, crude sulfur rods can be used to, as components of weapons were found stashed within a supply of dry food. Yeah, you uh, got to figure that. A spotting a tip of 18 tons of coke coal used as a fuel in melting uh, metal melting furnaces. It sounds like they might have reason to uh, be a little bit paranoid. Well, certainly. certainly. Well, considering the history of what's going on there, I I doubt that's all that's coming in and out. I don't think you're going to have a successful venture there if you want to have scuba diving. <laughs> I, I, you, don't, you don't picture the Gaza Strip's a great tourist destination? Uh, no. For divers? Not if you want to stay healthy. Uh, let's say June 28th uh, benefits underwater cleanup at the Round Valley Reservoir. Uh, fun day has been planned on June 28th. They'll benefit underwater cleanup. That is scheduled to happen in the reservoir this fall. The event is from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. It'll include guided tours of the park focusing on the history of Round Valley, 
Bear presentations about water, boating safety, introduction to scuba diving, displays including emergency vehicles, dive boats, diving, and recovery equipment along with a live DJ. Bear is an acronym for Boating Education Rescue Program run by the Coast Guard Auxiliary Members. Teachers water safety through education and games. Admission to the fun day will cost $29 for families, which they're saying is two adults and two children. Each additional family member is charged 5 bucks admission. Children's 2 to 6 will be admitted for $2 each. Park entry fee is also charged per vehicle at $10. The event is being organized by the Higher Divers Association, which performs underwater cleanup at Round Valley. Round Valley. I want to say Valley. Valley uh, last September. More than a dozen divers from local dive clubs worked more than six hours removing garbage discarded in the reservoir. Divers bought up cans, bottles, all sorts of sports bags, pure trash. Uh, This is according to... Mark McNulty of uh, Bethlehem Township, a founder of Higher Divers. Doesn't that sound like, I mean, $29 for families plus entry fee of 10 bucks? So you're talking 40 bucks, and what do you really get out of it? Just an event. Well, I'm just thinking who goes as a spectator for that. Well, that's New Jersey. Maybe that's reasonable in Jersey. People, well, I mean, people richer in Jersey? Tour. You know, well, if you go to a park and you pay your 10 bucks, you're probably going to get a, a tour of the park anyway. So I'm just curious, a live DJ, well, I'll turn my radio on. <laughs> yeah. I, we may not be just their target. Guy. We may not be their target audience. Look at the photos. It's a, some interesting photos there in the article, just showing some of probably September's trash. But that doesn't look like a lot. Well, only a dozen divers. But, I, well, they're doing some good work, see, so we won't call them out. But. True. Do you see some pictures of that, by the way? Because I don't. Oh, wait a minute. Here we go. I might yeah. see where you're at. See, yeah. It just, uh, I mean, that's, that's, like, that's like one. That's you. <laughs> now we have to say that might not be all the photos of everything that was brought up that day. There just might be a few they had. I'm looking at some of it. And then Pretty rocky out there, too. Yeah. The, Big open area. Uh, then down in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, divers are removing thousands of tires from a failed reef. Divers start a two-year, $1.6 million project to remove ta- thousands of tires. The state environmental officials are undertaking the project to remove 90,000 tires from the bottom of the ocean floor in Fort Lauderdale. It was a 1970s tire reef project off Hugh Taylor Birch State Park that was attempt to dispose of tires in an environmentally friendly way. An estimated 700,000 tires were dropped into the ocean in the hope of attracting fish and providing foundation for coral to grow. The project t- kicked off with great fanfare in 72. 100 boats full of tires, tires dumped them into the water while a minesweeper, the USS Thrush, looked on. Uh, few corals grew. Even worse, the tire bundles broke apart and drifted into the natural reefs, killing the coral. <laughs> And now the lifeless fist of the tire stretched about 35 acres. So it's oops. like, a, yeah, it's like, oops. Maybe it's, there should have been a pilot project done before they did so many. I mean, could you have, maybe they did test. We're assuming they didn't. Uh, oh, I wonder if there was something in the tire that uh, screwed that up. Well, the one thing I remember reading about this and even tires in regular landfills is that the density of a tire always causes it to float to the surface. So if you have a landfill and you put dirt on it, the tires will, over time, work their way to the surface. So landfills, that's why they shred them, and uh, a lot of them are doing the like a cryo-freezing where they'll freeze them and then hammer mill them. 
I don't know how that would be cost effective. It's probably not. <laughs> you dip them in nitro. I've seen when they dip them in nitrogen and then hit them with a big hammer. Yeah, that's they, interesting. Yeah, they they're just uh, making a mulch out of them, which I don't want in my yard. I don't want anything in my yard that's going to be like that. That's I just imagine tire rubber everywhere. Uh, scuba divers tethered to a barge are moving the tires from a strip of ocean floor about a thousand feet long, one hundred fifty feet wide, next to the edge of the middle of the reef. They're piled on top of each other, up to five deep. Doesn't sound, it sounds like you'd almost clamshell them up quicker and more effectively than divers picking them up one by one. I would think so, or you could have a crane and you drop a chain down there and you do them 10 at a time. Yeah, Uh, because it said, what, uh, 100 boatloads to put it out? Yeah, military divers. It's a heck of a lot easier to dump it off a boat. Yeah, military divers uh, removed 72,000 tires years ago, and it seemed like we've covered this before where they were moving, or maybe they're trying to get this funded. Yeah, I remember the one about the di- the military divers out there as an exercise, and you're getting your exercise, that's for sure. Yeah, he said some tires will stay for now because they'd be extremely difficult to remove and maybe crest with marine life that would stir up as they came up. As the loose ones, Quinn said, we're going to evaluate our options. Once retrieved, the tires are dropped at... Port Everglades, where they travel by truck to Tampa area to be burned for electricity. Huh. And they must have an incinerator down there that they're using. So that's going to be about 10% of the tires that were put down they're going to take up. But for $1.6 million, I, I bet they didn't spend that much to put them down. No. So the next is what, the beach squid? Yeah. This was reported by the Weather Channel. They occasionally get some interesting little bits in there. As it auto plays video, um, they said a giant squid washed up on the South Beach. The scientists were stunned to find the 23-foot-long giant squid. And this is in uh, New Zealand, South Island on Wednesday. Is no, that an albino squid? Is I don't know if that's albino or if it's just bleached. The mu- well, the mu- before the birds got to it, that, that means it wouldn't bleach out. Yeah, it could be. That looks albino. That's interesting. Uh, Melbourne Express reports the dead giant squid is now on display in a freezer at the aquarium. Scientists are studying the specimen. According to Megan Lewis, the aquarium's owner, the giant squid, was a fully grown female, but the scientists aren't sure how old it was exactly and how it died. Uh, They tend to grow very fast and live not very long, Lewis said. Giant squid typically grow 30 feet long, but the largest are discovered have been up to 59 feet long, according to National Geographic. Majority of its weight is in the head, which is in pristine condition. The aquarium will make. I just love the terms pristine. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's dead people. It ain't pristine. <laughs> well, probably compared to what they normally get. Yeah. Aquarium will make tissue samples from the squid available to researchers, but the entire specimen will stay at the center for now. And uh, well, I think it was um, in Chicago at the uh, Museum of Science and Industry they had a squid. What tank. was it saying? It was said the mantle is over two meters long with 19 centimeter eye diameter. That's pretty freaking big. They are large. Well, that one's large. How would you like to run into that baby? Uh, I want to be in something. <laughs> if he wanted you for lunch, I think you're going to be in, or she wanted you for lunch. I think you'd lose that battle. Well, when you consider that uh, whales and squids battle, that's, uh, we're not in the same league of those Big guys. Especially a 59-foot one. Oh. And those I'm suckers. Sharp knife. Sharp knife. Yeah, those uh, those suckers that you see. 
you know, they scar things up pretty well. And then here we're, this one's out of Alabama. Scuba diving is considering a destination in the past. Alabama is not the location that popped up regularly. Those who love diving in the state's Gulf Coast hope that a rapidly changing the latest effort to bring new awareness and diving opportunities in the state. Uh, what they're attempting to do is build what they're calling Poseidon's Playground. It started off by somebody putting a lawn chair underwater and weighting it down, and every time a diver went on it, they would sit in the chair and say, take my picture, or maybe they would bubble it or sign it. Uh, working with the Reef Foundation Marine Resources, the playground was designed with the Vernament East Reef Zone. Reef Board member Claudia Wright came up with the name Poseidon's Playground. The Reef Foundation had Walter Marine of Reefmaker TV fame build and deploy three statues, Poseidon, Apollo, and Venus of the Sea. Harris's students and parents as well as the Walter Marine contributed to the deployment of, the, of a grouper reef which uh, statues of triggerfish and dolphin in the area made it look a little bit like an underwater aquarium. It was be uh, deployed beautifully. A few months ago, the Reef Foundation authorized deployment of four blocks of chains for the dive boats to use as anchor points. We hope these blocks will keep people from dropping anchor and damaging the statues. We went down to February, and there was a lot of growth in the statues. The fish were starting to come around. It was exciting to see the it was growing and developing. On March 9th, they deployed a cross in a base. We hope early this summer start having underwater weddings and other things that might evolve from the cross. In April, Harris took uh, down under dive explorers beside his playground. She said it was special. Many of them had contributed to getting one of the structures, and I was really able to enjoy watching them see it for the first time. They were excited. Their parents were excited. Many of them saw their names on a plaque, and they knew they'd been down there for a very long time. That was probably the most rewarding part of the project so far. Uh, the playground is open to the deployment of other structures as long as the height limit is followed as memorials and mementos. They're talking about doing some fundraising in the future. You know, I clicked on that, but I got a totally different item than you're talking about. <laughs> I was trying to, to track down where you're at. Poseidon's playground. Here, let me paste it to you in the... Well, I, I'm going to say, because I started out and it talks about uh, pretty much what you said, but it said it was the first step was when they sang Lulu, the 271-foot coastal freighter. Uh huh. Did you hit that part? No, I skipped I just... over that. No, you oh, saw it. Oh, okay. That's why I couldn't. I'm, I'm looking to where you were at, and I thought, I'm looking at the Lulu, and then yeah, you're talking yeah, about yeah. They They kind of went on forever and ever. You could tell that they are uh, you know, they don't pay by the pixel. Yeah. Well, that was 110 foot of water. So most of your brandy new divers ain't going to be out there. No. And I think that we had had some pictures of this earlier. Especially, I see the one with the uh, Poseidon and the Trident. Yeah, we probably have covered this. Yes, we had covered before. Yeah. Uh, well, they're saying part of the reason why this ship is so deep is they had to keep 50-foot clearance over the top of it. Yep, yep. Did you see the uh, the picture of the where it's located at, the map? No, I didn't. Uh, let me go back here. You know where the, it said four pictures, the images on the right-hand side to the top? Mm-hmm. Click on that. Okay. You know, where the gal is by the trident, click on the four images. Yeah. That's a good one of her. And then you go to the bottom right, click on that. Then you can see the plaque really getting encrusted there. Mm -hmm. And then the third one, see, that's the kind of stuff I like to look at. Because then it's got the mark where the wrecks are and stuff. Yeah. Uh, in the shipping lane. Is it in the shipping lane? That's what it looks like. So I can see what they definitely want the clearance. Well, they want the clearance. But the problem we have here is you've got the shipping organizations don't want you to put anything that even have boats and stuff in that area. 
well, if we went 13 miles off, we'd be a little deeper than 110 foot of water. Yes, certainly we would. Can you say 300 plus? But it shows the picture of the artificial reef modules and the um, play in, the uh, Poseidon's playground tie-in. Yeah. So that, that made more sense to me looking at that. Interesting. Yeah, I think we covered when that ship was sank. Uh, yes, I do believe we did. Because I'm, I'm looking at their website and they've got the like a video of it playing. Yeah, because they were talking about there were also um, underwater memorials for burials and stuff. Remember that? Yeah. Oh, was that the same place? Yes, because it said uh, Walter Marine has for many years worked with families to create memorials for deceased family members by using their ashes to create pyramids. doesn't have to be a pyramid. It can be a statue or blah, blah. Yeah, so we've covered this, but from a different angle. Now, that's interesting. In Michigan, we'd never be able to get anything like that going. Well, we wouldn't have the crustaceans, but we'd have the zebra or the quaggas on it. Yeah, I mean, you'd get some, and fish would love it. Yes. Fish absolutely love any sort of protection they can get. Yeah. But, yeah, Michigan, we're not going to get permission to put anything like that down there. Safe Boating Week appears to be this week. It's every week. Well, it should be every week. Beginning, uh, this was Friday, uh, May 15th was the beginning of the Safe Boating Week, which it starts on a Friday, I guess. Uh, during this time of year, they want people to uh, practice boating safety. The rest of the year is fine. Do whatever you want. Uh, they said one common mistake that we're concerned about is that divers is as divers is that people recognize a diver down flag as well as the alpha flag, which means we have divers, whether free divers, snorkelers, or scuba divers in the water, and boats should stay back a hundred feet. Uh, and you should check your local state laws because that can be different in each state. And nineteen and 2013, the state of Michigan had 21 boating-related deaths. So is this was this must have been uh, Michigan. Well, it's got to be somewhere up north because only reason we don't put our boats in until now is unless you've got a heated water system, you can freeze overnight. And that's why we don't normally put the boats in until, you know, yeah. May. Yeah, you don't, don't want to do that's, much. And that doesn't guarantee it's not going to freeze. No. No. So you, I see that, and I was going to ask where WBKB is. Uh, let's see. About us, it might tell us they are in Alpena, Michigan. Well, that would make sense then. Yeah. Yeah. They, they're going to be a little bit later in the season than we are. Yeah. They'd get a little colder up there quicker. And I see their temperature says 32, 36. Oh. Uh, so, forget, yeah. Maybe maybe not even now. Yeah. For, forget that. I, I was complaining <laughs> earlier. We, we could have Alpena weather. Well, I think we had 54 today, didn't we? Oh, I got. I think it got warmer than that, didn't it? Maybe, uh, maybe I'm a little bit more in, inland. Yeah, I think we got in the 60s. It was a little chilly this morning. Oh, it was certainly chilly this morning. And then uh, China has identified, uh, I think they've identified a shipwreck that was found. I say China. Yeah, I guess Hong Kong is China. Shipwreck found in the seabed of Wang Chai, most likely famous Hong Kong ship HMS Tamar, government has all but confirmed that the remains of the Wan Chai or the famous British warship was scuttled to keep her out of Japanese hands. The mystery is nearly over. Um, the ship was scuttled by the Navy in 1941 to prevent her from falling into Japanese hands. Civil Engineering and Development Department said yesterday that the large metal object, about 40 meters long, 2 to 11 meters wide, and 2 meters high, may be part of the bottom of the wreck. It could be the remains of the HMS Tamar. 
but it stopped short of confirming the historic find as the ship's bell, nameplates, or other unique features have not been found. Government statement came after the South China Morning Post confronted it with the findings by uh, founding chief of the Hong Kong Maritime Museum, Dr. Stephen Davies, that identified the wreck as the HMS Tanner and asked to respond to Marine historians' claim that he had been removed from the investigation team after presenting evidence to officials. Divers are now, divers, now a scholar at the university, or Davies, why did I say divers? Davies, now a scholar at the University of Hong Kong, was part of the initial research team that investigated discovery at six meters under the seabed close to the old Wan Chai Ferry Pier. The wreckage could delay completion of the central Wan Chai Bypass and Exhibitation Station on the MTR Corpse Santing Central Link. The government has now decided to relocate the wreckage to another part of the site so that the reclamation work can continue. Now, have you looked at the photo? That is a weird-looking boat. Well, the, uh, the you got the boat up above, and it was covered. It looks like a roof. Yeah, I wonder if it was because it was so rainy. Maybe that's why they did it that way, because that was a British vessel. I don't see any cannon or nothing or anything on it. Now, could that be a maybe not a uh, hard roof, but like canvas? I really don't. It's interesting. I don't think I've ever seen a boat look like that. Yeah. But it even has mass, so it looked like it might have been a sailing vessel that was converted. Uh, but then look at down below. They've got the the condition of it with what they found, and they didn't find much at all. Well, it's always one of these items a shipwreck found whenever it never was lost. It was on the charts in 1960. Yeah. And then they did some work, redid the charts, and basically failed to put it back on there because they were supposed to have done some reclamation aspect. But it, that's why I love to look at the old charts because you go on the old ones and you'll find what they, after a while, you know, it's sort of fallen down, became a rubble wreck, so it's not a hazard, and it gets off the charts. But there was another where it said more on this story, and I clicked on that one, and I then everything blanked out on my yeah. computer. Now, do you think that it – Because so, so it's 41, so it's at about 60 years ago? Okay, I, I got another picture. Yeah. Uh, it looks like it's got three masts on it. Yeah, yeah, that top picture, they, I was thinking that's what it had. I went to that one on the side, and that was uh, taken in 1905. Now, but but you look at that, just it's like a, it's only two meters high. Could it be that they, when they did work, they clamshelled it to try and, you know, dredge or something? Or would that have just been it's all that was below the silt and what didn't rot away? Well, it said she had a gross tonnage of 4,000. 1,500 pounds, or 4,500 tons, 330 feet, 42 by 42, 27. So she was 335 feet long, 42 feet wide, and 27 feet deep. Yeah. She was built in 1863. Wow, she was so a sailing ship with an ornate figurehead, and she was used as a troop ship. Now, they say but a troop was rigged. Later, with an auxiliary steam engine, gave her a speed of 12 knots. So that's what she was. She was a uh, troop ship, basically. And she had been used, like, for the barracks. That's what I was wondering if, when they say troop ship, if she was just, like, floating barracks for the military. So she was an old one when they scuttled her. Oh, yeah. And, again, three, you know, who'd want her? Three mast? Yeah. Not very fast? No. Big target. She was a bargain I'm sure is the reason why they they had her. Okay, let's see. What's the next one? Uh, 
Another shipwreck has been identified, this one out of the Caribbean. This looks sort of like the one we saw last week. It's possible it's the same one. I didn't. Yeah, you see the body of it and the, the sections of the hull a person's over? Okay. That's, that's why I said that. It looked like the sections that we saw last week. Is she 15 or 20 feet deep again? So this one's got a little bit more like last week when you commented they didn't have their line. You didn't see the lines out. But this one does. Yeah, I bet this is it. Yep, resting in the depth of just over 40 feet, 334-year-old wreck. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's what it is. So if if you want to hear the the wreck we're talking about, we covered it last week. Let's see, do we, you have to listen to last week's episode. What was the name of it, just so that people know? The uh, Nustra Signora di Inserition, which I'm uh, somebody's cringing. The one last week, though, was nicer because they had more pictures of the booty. Yeah, I liked it. it they went right down the center. Right. I was resting and then at a, a picture of where it sank. And how they actually salvaged it at the time, and that which they're finding now is a remnant. Yeah. Still interesting. And then a little bit closer to our home up here in Wisconsin, they have a ship that is now on the historic registrar. It's the 1800 schooner Pathfinder is added to the Wisconsin Register of Historic Places after being buried for years, learning more about History is one thing, but un uncovering it is a treasure of its own. Wisconsin Historical Society had records of where the vessel was located, below 10 feet of water off Manitowoc County Lake, Michigan's coastline near two creeks, but it had been covered by sand for at least the last decade. A power parachute pilot snows the vessel while flying over the coast and reported to Historical Society in late 2013. The team went to investigate the area a few months later. In about four and a half hours, we surveyed nearly all the shipwreck, created a site plan for it, and uh, looked into the history of it. This is uh, Tamara Thompson, a marine archaeologist with the State Historical Society. Because of the integrity of the shipwreck, how much was in place, how much was broken up, how much was represented still on the site, it qualified for a listing in the state's registrar. At first, when I saw this article, I thought that they meant national, but uh, this is on the state site. Yeah. Had a Cargo of uh, 1,200 tons of ore. Yeah, but it sunk like a rock. <laughs> yeah, I bet it did. <clears throat> I think it's interesting. They say three different ways to list a shipwreck on the register. Historical significant, archaeological significant, or architectural significance. Most are listed as archaeological because they have integrity in the amount of ship that's on the bottom and potential to further our understanding of shipbuilding technology or a particular vessel. I am willing to bet you, though, that ships of that vintage were not that freaking unique. No. No, but I, I I don't think the point is that it's unique. The point is that you can learn from it as an example. You really think so? No, I don't. <laughs> I think you're going to find more out from a book written at the time. Uh, I think it's great. If I love being a diver and going out and looking at these and going, oh, that's what that is. But I don't think practically it is. And then here we have a British shipwreck off the Uruguay coast that could hold treasure worth millions. Uh, they said it's the wreck of the Lord Clive, which was destroyed by Spanish cannon fire during a botch attack in the city of Colona de Sacramento, which was discovered in 2004. But only this year, the Uruguayan government gave permission for the vessel to be recovered. Long buried under rocks at the bottom of the river plate, the contents of the ships are unknown, but... 
Tales of treasure chests and vast stocks of rum have prompted frenzied interest. This is according to a veteran Argentinian explorer who found the ship and is now raising funds for recovery. Many people want to stake money since it's this, they enjoy this kind of thing. It's like gambling. You put a th- in a $1,000, you can make $5,000 or a million dollars, depending on what shows up. Collado had previously found and salvaged dozens of ships, including in 1984, uh, Nustra Sonar di Loreto, which contained millions of dollars worth of gold and silver coins. He believes Lord Clive could be his most valuable discovery yet. That was constructed in hall for the Royal Navy and originally named HMS Kingston. The six deck 64 gun ship was bought in 1762 by the East India company. Then the richest business in the world to embark on a military campaign to secure markets and territory in Spanish South American colonies during the seven year war. To me, if it had been with treasure and whatever, and once it sank, 62 survivors swam the shore the location was known. Why would they not have gone out to recover the cannon, ammunition, stores? You would have. I would have thought so. They say whether the wreckage has been looted. Now, what's the difference? You know, they say looted, but if I went back and salvaged it after it sank, that's looting? <laughs> I, I just don't understand. If you if, they, if I take it, it's good. If you take it, it's looting. Right. Because, I mean, it's at gold coins to pay the blah, blah, blah. 64 bronze cannon. I, I can't believe they would not have gone out and got that themselves because they know where it was. Well, why are they saying the cannon should be worth $64 million altogether? Are cannons worth that much? Uh, bronze cannons are expensive, but I can't believe a million bucks each. Yeah. You know why they use bronze? They, they preferred bronze over iron? Uh, no rust. Well, you know the other reason? <clears throat> they cost more, of course. Right. <clears throat> but the advantage is when you the cannon wore out, they had no use for it. They just tossed it overboard. Or you couldn't re, you couldn't do repurpose it. With the bronze you could melt it and do it and make something else out of it again. Okay. And then I was reading another article telling me the number of shots that you could have on an iron cannon. And it wasn't that much. Really? Yeah. It's not like hundreds and hundreds. Really? That I I would have figured you'd get more than that out of it, but it's not every day that you go broadside with another vessel. Only in the books. Yeah. Or the movies. I'm looking through the, the chat room below to see if there's anything. Yeah, not really much. And then there was another article that we'll skip, but that one was talking about the reason why the the vessel could be so valuable is that they figured it had some 250-year-old rum. As long as the government doesn't get involved, it'll be polluted. Oh. Which brings me to our next article. And? Well, here, just got to paste it in the chat room. Try and keep the chat room. So I, I need a designated paster to keep the chat room in the news. Uh, this was, oh, crud. Can you get to it? Uh, I'll go back. I I'm can trying. paraphrase, but... Uh, the Wall Street Journal is wanting me to subscribe now. Okay. Shipwreck could hold vast stock of 250-year-old rum. No, no, no not, not that one. The next one. The Wine Dark, see the regulations. Napa okay. Valley Winery uh, was having a problem with, uh, they were aging wine underwater. And oh, the wow. Yeah, we're on that one. And uh, the Bureau of Firearms, uh, was it, is it firearms or is it? 
is it a different group? God, I wish I had the article now. Okay. The wine dark sea of regulation, yep. aged wine at the bottom of the ocean, then feds threatened our license. This was May 20th. Our Napa Valley winery will pull eight cases of Cabernet. Cabernet, yeah. Okay. Cabernet out of Sauvignon. Harvard, South Carolina. We placed them there six months ago, protected from the elements, following similar experiments over the last few years. The cold water and the tides seem to expedite or expedite the aging process. We believe our ocean-aged fine wine, which is trademarked as Aquavora, could revolutionize how, revolutionize how wineries around the world think about winemaking. The only obstacle was the federal government. That's what I see right here. Yeah, and uh, oh, and you don't see any more. They they hit you up as well. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, and. Well, uh, what it, what it came down is that they they were saying that it was uh, adulterated because it was in the water and it wasn't in sterile conditions. But couldn't you say if somebody farted in a in an aging winery, that's not a sterile condition? What's any difference between that and being submerged in water? But they they sent nasty letters, threatened to pull their license. Uh, immediately, the winery took everything off the shelves that they had uh, to comply, and then. Uh, the government posted an article explaining how underwater aged wine was potentially dangerous. So it makes you wonder what what really is going on. Why why they get so upset about this? I'm still trying to find one that will let me actually talk about that without wanting you know my name, address, and phone number. Yeah, that's a Wall Street Journal. That's what they always do. Well, I was looking at another place and I can't find it. Yeah, that was uh, one we got just below before the show. So we'll get, we'll probably find one next week. I'm sure that will come up in a different magazine. Give me one more second here. Let's see if this comes out anywhere. I'm looking at the container they put it in, a big yellow container. Uh, there we go. So they had the yellow container. Yeah, like, it's, it's a protected environment. It's, so it's it wasn't not, even, it wasn't even really exposed. Oh, heck no. No, it, it, well, it's got holes and stuff in it. But what oh. they're letting the, the, the I think what they're talking about is the coldness and the agitation. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's here's another article on that. Chevrolet so, is starting up the summer well, with we the aim to find out if that made a difference. In February of 2013, we placed 48 bottles of our 2009 custom-made wine in cages for three months to gauge the effects of the chemistry on the wine using natural temperature, pressure, and motion of the harbor. And let's see, they. Uh, Retrieved it in May, successfully completing phase one of our aging. A taste test was conducted. Uh, seemed like it was really good. Uh, the wine was then sent out to California where it went chemical analysis. And whatever happened with that, meaning the, the motion, the cold, made the wine exceedingly good. So they did a second phase, and they put twice as many bottles, eight cases, for six months. And then they did a blind wine tasting tour, included all the biggie wiggies, and they were, you know, outstanding wine for whatever reason. Yeah. So obviously it ain't tainted otherwise, or if it is tainted, it's tainted in a good way. Yeah. Just a little salt. I mean, you can have sea salt. Yeah. They're saying the technique could revolutionize the wine industry. So somebody needs to, this is where Congress just needs to, to pass something and say, you know what, you guys, your knuckleheads. It's okay to do this. Oh, here's another one. 
says, why does the federal government care about seven cases of wine sitting on the bottom of Charleston Harbor? Says, the document intriguingly mentioned recent interest in the aging of wine under the ocean, dropped some pretty strong language about the practice adulterated, unsanitary, contaminated with filth, effluent, decaying organic matter. If you took this as a scary verdict on underwater aging, how are you to be wrong? The, in fact, the TTB actually has no idea whether any of these things get into a bottle of submerged wine. The document is also generously studied with maize and mites. But why and how it exists at all is a window into the strange world of how alcohol is regulated in the United States, a food tested by the FDA, but policed by the same tax department that tracks cigarettes and collects taxes on guns. No, it's that right there tells you what it is. It's revenue. And sometime, what looks like regulation is really one agency punting to another. And let me keep going down here. They came interested because um, a few aging experiments coming out of Europe mm -hmm. at the 2011 auction of a bottle of champagne off a wreck that had been down for quite a while. They got fifteen up to $50,000 a bottle. Made them wonder why those bottles are any better. And that's what he was doing here. <clears throat> they were wrapped in four steel mesh cages, 60 feet, and put down 50, to, uh, 50 feet down. Uh, the average temperature was 55 degrees for most of the winter. The bottles were fished out three months later, protective wax seals removed from the top of the wine. The wine tasted as if it had aged two years. And that's when they did the second one. Oh, by the way, that was uh, $500 a pair. Well, yeah, that's kind of a nice thing to find out is two years. I was wondering that when the articles came out earlier, uh, because you're under pressure. It seems like that would help, uh, you know, break, you know, whatever the tannins or something that's in the wine, uh, you know, that could help accelerate it, even well, though it's cool. Plunging the wine into the water, changing the pressure around its cork, potentially surrounding it with pollutants, raises the question of contamination. But then again, if you did that and then you dip the whole thing in, in, in uh, let's say, wax, mm -hmm. you're not going to get the contamination even on the cork. No, well, it's, it's a glass bottle. You've got a wax seal on it. What do we got, like super boring you know, microbes that are embedding in the wax? Yeah. Just an agency being overly protective, annoying. Well, here, let me, well, let me figure out where you were at. I'm... Um, Pasting the other article, which is actually very good. The, the one on the 250? Yeah. Oh, Surfer George put it up. Oh, is that, a, is that the one that you're in? Yeah. Okay. It's uh, pretty good. That's from Politico. Very appropriate. <laughs> well, that's kind of a Beltway magazine in, in D.C. Well, I think they've got, they're on to something. That if you can age it in that fashion for however reason, and it ages it quicker, that's money in the bank for those guys. Well, here, here's the thing: is could you duplicate the duplicate an environment that they couldn't say you'd contaminate it? Say I have a tank full of distilled water, and then I put these bottles in, and then I pressurize the tank, and then I have a machine that agitates it. How could they say that was a problem? They couldn't. Maybe, maybe we just need to go patent that, Mac. I mean, because it sounds like temperature. The yeah, temperature. And the, ag and the agitation, the undulations yeah. of the water. Temperature, pressure, and, and uh, agitation. So you go down and you put a, a tumbler network in and, and, you know, a gyroscope in, record the, the axis of the modulations on the computer, 
and then reproduce that man manually. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, Uncle Sam knows best. I'm sure he knows what he's doing. Oh, of course. <laughs> now, see, they're aging in the bottle because a lot uh, of times you'll age in a cast or uh, a tank. Yeah. Okay. Oh, my goodness. Well, that does it for the news. I, I tried to get to your video, which everybody heard but you, Mac, and it was uh, uh, an ad that I couldn't get rid of. <laughs> so we'll, we'll, we'll have to paste the video onto the website so people can watch it. Oh, you mean the gray whites? Yes. Yeah, I'd be, you know, if, if it's only 50 foot offshore and there's 13 of those guys, I would probably not swim there. Yeah, that might, uh, might not be something you want to go swimming. I don't, uh, great whites, I don't think make great swimming buddies. It's not like Nemo. <laughs> Fish yeah, or friends, not food. Yeah, Dora. Yeah, so that, that video, so we'll add that in the show notes. When they get on the website, which by the way, I'm getting closer. We're, we're getting closer to it. But something that uh, many of us got close to was the water. So it is that time of year where you need to be out, and I am shamefully not been able to get into the water in I'm any beat recent you with time. i a straw next time I see you. Yeah. So where, did, so where did you get to dive this week? Oh, let's see. Well, it's hard to find anybody to dive with because people are working. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, that's good. I'm sorry about that. But uh, And those that aren't, or doing other items, but um, went ahead and broke out the kayak the other day because I wanted to hit a new spot, and uh, so I back out in Pawpaw. Mm -hmm. It was an interesting area. They, uh, I'm trying to remember what the heck the temperature was now. I'd have to go back to the club site. <laughs> so mudclub.scubaobsessed.com, you can find out what the temperature was in Max Dive on <laughs> Pawpaw. Now, you also, before Pawpaw, you got out to the pier with Bob and Kurt, didn't you? Yeah, we did. we did that on Sunday. Let's see here. Surface temperature was 54 degrees, and visibility, no matter where you heck you were at, was about five foot. Yes. I, I went to the uh, five finger gloves. I don't have my mitts on now. Uh, I'm still. I got to go back. It's off of a slope. Lots of wood, thick overburden, and uh, my side scan indicated there was some some of the targets that I really want to be looking for. I mean, it looks like it could have been a boat. Okay. Nice. Uh, so I, I didn't get really far down on the slope. I was. Uh, I, basically, I stayed up high looking for other garbage first, but I will get back out there. And it's the first time I had my kayak out, and I'm glad I did. I think the biggest thing I got bit, though, I came back in, and I don't know what the little black boogers were, but it must have been a thousand of them. I got into a swarm, mm -hmm. bit the blazes out of the back of my neck. Between I had a skull cap on, so between my wetsuit and that skull cap on the back of my neck and on my ears, I mean, I still got the welts on my on, the, on my on my neck. So wow. uh, I will get out my uh, bug spray like I normally have with my kayak and be ready for them next time. You almost need like mosquito netting over you. I Let me tell you, I, I should have known better and I should have got out of their way as opposed to and that's the persevering. That's the discussion every time we're on the boat is why are we in the middle of Lake Michigan and there are flies? I don't know. You stop that boat and then poof. Yeah, five but miles out after going 40 miles an hour for an hour, yeah. and there are flies there in a second. Well, that's why, you know, we've, we've, you've seen that sign I post on Jim's boat, right? No fly zone? Yeah. <laughs> I get that fly spotter out, by God. And they will bite you. That's where neoprene is your friend, because yes. to, my, to my knowledge, I have not been bitten through the neoprene. No, and when you start getting bit through neoprene, 
You got some serious, <laughs> serious problems. That, that, that's the next uh, movie on the sci-fi channel. Yeah. Uh, let's uh, see. Who, who, Michigan. Who, like Michigan is warmer, was warmer than Pawpaw. Yep. It was 55 degrees at almost 30 feet. And on the surface, it was 60 already. Yeah, that is that is some nice diving conditions. Well, you figure, though, by the – you see how the, the pictures were sort of flat-looking? Yeah. When we left, we had three-foot swells when we came around the side of the lighthouse to get back in mm-hmm. and white caps. Yeah, that was uh, – that's was what we a, call building. Yeah, that's why you got to be freaking careful out there in Lake Michigan because it'll blow up in no time at all. Yeah, you watch the weather and – uh, it, it can change. You just have to be prepared for that. Know where your yeah. closest port is. Yeah. And again, with with his boat, if we had to, we could have got on shore, towed it around, you know, yes. to the calm water. Yeah. And what, what Max referring to is that he was on uh, Bob Sweeney's boat, which is a Zodiac. It's a rib, a rigid hull, inflatable. Uh, and yeah, you yeah. can just go. You can just beach it. You know, if it's yeah, bad it, enough. It, yeah, it's not going to sink ever. I mean, obviously you cut it in half. Yes. Yeah, if you, but the pontoons got baffles in it, so you're not going to. You'd have to yeah. lose. You'd, that'd be a bad day. Just tether yourself to the boat, and you're not going to drown. Yeah. But that was a good day. That was a good dive too. And Sweeney even got into the let's get golf balls. <laughs> and I think the majority of the ones he got were all Titleist, and all of them were new. Nice. So that's the advantage of having that golf course up there, at Ar- Arnold Palmer one. Yeah. Yeah, it, it creates more official dives. It sure gives you a lot more golf balls to find. Now, now, based on our previous articles, any any nice expensive golf balls? Well, all of those, like I said, were Titleist. Okay. They didn't look like, you know, been played a couple of times because they, they were not dinged at all. And they hadn't been down there all you yeah, know, that, long. Yeah, that's the uh, golf course there in Benton Harbor. Yes. And that's got a couple holes on the lake, doesn't it? Harbor Shores, you got three that you can see up on the dunes. But if you go to the backside, the uh, Pawpaw River brackets probably a third of it. Ah, so you could knock them into the river and then they right. could and move their way down. Right, and that right into the St. Joe, which comes up there by uh, Whirlpool Basin, and now you're into the river. Yes. Pretty good. And I think uh, Kevin dove the Gull Lake last night. Uh, with the SAS crew. Okay. Visibility is about 15 feet. They said, I think he said 47 degrees at 40 feet. Mm-hmm. So that's still chilly down there. It was warmer on the surface. Now, Gull Lake is the, that this is the world famous Gull Lake that was in oh, yeah, the Dive Training Magazine. Yes, actually. So that was page 69 on, is that the June issue? Yes, June issue, Dive Training, page 69. And the article was actually very good and correct. Nice. Now you yeah. said there was a. They had a couple. They said there were cars in there. Some well, Studebakers they had a couple items. They're talking about the some Studebakers, and I have not seen the Studebakers, and they did not say the location of them. Huh. They were talking about the access at Ross Park and the one up on the, the north to the left side of it. They're talking about the items that are under it, like the ninety foot of railroad track. Yeah. And the the shanties. Now I think so I believe this. Talking about the stuff. Yeah, I believe SAS diving uh, was the ones who helped move that track. Yes, and and the track is a, a way that they would get boats in the water. They had the rails running up onto the beach, and they'd have a boat lift, and they would pull boats in and and out with the track. Yeah. And uh, as the story <laughs> goes, uh, when the place is no longer marina, there were family members who were then diving on it, and the uh, wife of the property owner was 
upset that she kept stubbing her toe on the darn track. So she talked. They talked to the dive shop, and they did a little lift project and moved it into the. Uh, they kind of got a little trail. There's some lines that go between objects. Uh, there's a phone booth. There's a ice boat. Uh, a couple platforms. I'm trying to think of what else is, is now. Well, there. you got a 25 foot sailboat, a rowboat, remains of a 20 foot ice boat. Mm-hmm. Then you got the 10 by 10 training platform at 30 feet. Uh, you got the steel corner post connected with chain link decking that's six feet off the bottom. Then you've got, let's see, a, oh, you got a deck on that also where you can watch training demonstrations without mucking up the bottom. Yep. Feature is at 30 meters of track from the buoy line, the railroad crossing, uh, let's see, the subway shop sign, SpongeBob on top of it. I got a picture of that one from last week. Now, did they put, they put all this in the article? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, some, somebody uh, local or, had to write that and submit Yeah, it. form implements, ice shanty with the fisherman, Scuba Joe, Volkswagen automobile, which I don't think that's a Volkswagen. Uh, then you got the air dome, you know, with the air pocket inside. That's off on the railroad tracks. Yeah. You got a motorcycle sidecar, Kawasaki motorcycle with a gnome driving it. I got pictures of that last week. Now, they say what the average viz they're calling it there. Uh, matter of fact, they do. They say... Uh, Surface temperatures range to the mid-70s. This is obviously in the summer. Average visibility is 15 to 40 feet, depending on the season, weather condition, and how many classes are there ahead of you. That's true. Uh, I don't know if I've ever seen 40 feet there. I think about my best has been maybe 30. Uh, I've also I've also I've seen, seen viz at 6 feet before. Yeah, 6 I can understand. So nice to get a little bit of visibility in the area. And if you want to pick up that magazine, I believe it's available in many of your local dive shops. Yeah, usually for free. Yeah, dive training magazine. Nice magazine. Yeah. Uh, I recommend it. Yeah, let's see. So who else did uh, did Richard get any diving in? Yes, he did. He was up uh, again with the SAS on the Wednesday night dives. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure which lake he went to, though. Okay. And let's see. So the, the other than me... Seems like everybody got in the water. Well, talking to everybody at the dive meeting the other night. Yeah, and we've tons, tons of diving. Yeah, we had some new members coming into the dive club meeting. Well, we had some new people. I don't know if they're members yet. Well, I've not seen coin of the room yet. <laughs> you haven't even seen pay their dues. Potential new members. Yes, but looking at who had dove, a couple of people have been down to uh, to the sunny south, Cozumel, what Haiti. Yeah. Yeah, some people had uh, gone to some really nice tropical locations. Yeah, and a lot of dives. So we had a lot of people diving the last week. That would be interesting to do for the dive club would be to have everybody log their dives for the year, and then we add them a combined dive and see how many months underwater just the dive club does every year. Lots of luck. i got to beat them with a stick to try to get <laughs> pictures and tell me when they dive. Yeah, we're probably not the best with logging stuff. So if you want to follow us, you can follow us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash scuba obsessed, Twitter at scuba obsessed. The website's www.scubaobsessed, and the Mud Club site is mudclub.scubaobsessed.com. You got anything you want to plug? Oh, let's see here. No, not yet. Yeah. Nothing major coming up. Yeah, we, I know we got this weekend. I'm just trying to figure out where to go diving. Yeah. yeah I don't, I'm not going to be able to get any diving in. Maybe Monday I might be able to. But uh, Saturday and Sunday are pretty much out. We got we're doing some traveling, visiting friends, 
So that will preclude some diving, but it is a three-day weekend. I got my yard work done today. Nice. Yeah, I, I did some origami today. I yeah, put the, you, I put together some that. some cardboard stuff. Uh, I had uh, an organization I do a little bit of work with, and they kind of begged me. They said they needed a, a display put up, so I went and put it up. And I was thinking, you know, how how tough can this be? A four foot by eight foot. This was uh, seven foot by twelve foot with a lot of pieces and bolts, and it's made out of cardboard and all sorts of stuff. And I realize that I am not in shape even for putting cardboard together. That's pretty sad. Too much butt in the seat time at work. Uh, and then we're going to be having some guests coming up. We'll we'll announce them as we get sooner. We're just trying to lock them down, but kind of excited. Be nice to have these people, and I'm sure you'll want to hear what they have to say. So that will be coming up here probably, uh, hopefully, if things work out, it'll be about the middle of June. Can't tell you yet who they are. And what's Jim doing tonight? Do you know? He, he napping? I believe he went to a funeral down. Oh. I don't know if it was in uh, the south or if it was over in uh, New Jersey. Oh, yeah, that's that's. Yeah, we're doing those unscheduled. Well, yeah, the schedule the scheduled funerals are a little tougher to explain. I don't know if I want to get into a position that I can be able to schedule them either. No. Yeah, that's that's sad. So hopefully he'll come back soon okay well i think we're getting to that time of the show i want to thank everybody again who is in the chat room we appreciate it appreciate to all you out there listening drop us a line we love those five star reviews on itunes you can listen to us live on talk show 73759 we are also on the wrvo radio network you can listen to our program and a lot of other programs about hunting fishing the great outdoors you can't beat it. It's live radio, and it just loops on and on. So you've got, uh, I, I think they've probably got about 20 or 30 shows going on now, wrvoradio.com. There's also an app you can download. Okay. Yeah, the, these jokes are probably not the best, probably not even politically correct. I'm going to say that they, they, they were written at a point when they were politically correct. So is it grandfathered in? Can you do that with a joke? Why not? Okay. So here we go. First one. A man walks in the doctor's office and has half a head of lettuce in his butt. Doctor examines it and says, wow, that must really hurt. The man replies, you have no idea. That's just the tip of the iceberg. Boo. <laughs> Actually, I did like that one. <laughs> okay. So here's, here's the next one. A doctor in an insane asylum decided to take his inmates to a baseball game. For weeks in advance, he coached his patients to respond to his commands. When the day of the game arrived, everything seemed to be going well. As the national anthem started, the doctor yelled, Up, nuts! And the inmates complied by standing up. After the anthem, he yelled, Down, nuts! And they all sat back down in their seats. After a home run was hit, the doctor yelled, Cheer, nuts! And they all broke out into applause and cheers. Thinking things were going very well, the doctor decided to go have a beer and a hot dog and leave his assistant in charge. When he returned, there was a riot in progress. Finding his assistant, the doctor asked, what happened? The assistant replied, well, everything was going fine until some idiot walked by yelling, peanuts. (laughs) Okay, that's pretty good. (laughs) I like that one. Didn't expect that. Yeah. Those weren't bad. No, no. I, 
I'm, I'm sure doctors in insane asylum aren't calling their patients nuts anymore. Maybe. Somewhat. That's so, not politically correct. <laughs> Until next week, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. If you're diving up here, let me know. Recording has been completed. I'm sorry she talked over you. Sure, we'd dive with somebody who'd come up here, wouldn't we? Yeah. So if you're coming up to Michigan, let us know. We'll we'll go diving with you. Or even northern Indiana. <laughs> even northern Indiana people. <laughs>